welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. This is a time when we reach up into the Salt and Light shelf and pull down some of our favorite interviews. Today we'll hear from Marcel Dion, who tells us about how we must set out into the deep. And filmmakers John and Andrew Irwin tell us about their film, October Baby, which tells the story of an abortion survivor. And do you think that there is room for humor and laughter in religion? Well, Father James Martin, author of Between Heaven and Mirth, tells us why there are so many sour faces in the church. And we meet new Catholic teen rock band, Effects of Grace. Remember that you can listen to any of these interviews at any time by simply going to our website, saltandlighttv.org radio. And that's also where you can listen to uninterrupted music, Christian music like you've never heard before. Email us at radio at saltandlighttv.org. And remember, you can visit us on Facebook. I'm Deacon Pedro, and we begin now with October Baby. Hannah is a 19-year-old college freshman whose world is rocked when she learns that she is the adopted survivor of an attempted abortion. This realization leads her on a journey to find her birth mother, but it is the power of forgiveness she ultimately discovers instead. This is a synopsis of October Baby, a new film coming to theaters on March 23rd. The film was written, directed, and produced by the Irwin brothers, John and Andrew. And John and Andy Irwin join me now on the phone. Welcome, guys, to Salt and Light Radio. Really, thanks for having us. I yeah. appreciate you. Glad to be here. Good. So uh, you guys have pretty much uh, worked on it all, documentaries, TV series, music videos, commercials, but this is your first feature film. Did you set out hey, we want to do a feature film, or did you kind of stumble on the story and said, this, we got to do this? What was the process there for you? Yeah, that's a great question. We have directed a lot of stuff, music videos and documentaries, like you say, and um, it wasn't so much that we found this story. It's kind of that this story found us. I, I was aware of the reality of abortion survivors. Yeah. I didn't know that was a reality, and it kind of shattered me. And uh, I shared that with Andy. We began to study it together. And that led to us doing this feature film. Uh, we thought, you know, what if we could make an entertaining story uh, that made you laugh, made you cry, and made you, you know, get swept away into this love story about this beautiful girl named Hannah. But the perspective of the story is that she discovers that she is a survivor of an abortion and has right. to deal with that and ultimately find the power of forgiveness. And so that was kind of the idea, was maybe we could um, use entertainment yeah. to get people to really look at something really that we believe is really important and uh, and merits discussion. Yeah, that's always a tricky thing when you're when you're because uh, I, I mean I haven't seen the film, but my sense is that I would say that it's a film with a message, but you don't want to start it with a message. You want to start with a good story, and that's always a fine line. How did you kind of walk that tight rope? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I think that you know it's hard to get uh, people to take medicine. <laughs> and, uh, you yeah. know, we are in the business of entertainment. And so we thought that to take on the message um, through the idea of like a documentary or something like that would be uh, really heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, but we felt like uh, to kind of become subversive and inject that into a coming-of-age age, uh, love story about this girl's life and that uh, you needed to laugh as hard as you cried. To do that, you were able to bring light to some issues uh, through her story um, uh, that uh, typically you wouldn't talk about. Right. And so uh, our our um, point of our movie is not necessarily to change people's minds as much as it is to engage their heart. Absolutely. And as they emotionally connect with this character, maybe 
they'll leave the theater uh, kind of thinking what they feel about this topic. Right. So I, I'm sorry. So that was that John or Andrew? I, you, I'll have to have. But, <laughs> yeah, this, that, that was that Andrew. was Andrew. You know, our, uh, all our lives, our mom <laughs> even asked the same questions. So don't Who, worry about it. It's, who's uh, talking? They, they get us mixed up all the time, and they call us the Irwin brothers. We very rarely have first names, and for people like you, it's very difficult. Our voices sound alike. Yeah, you sound exactly the same. same. But so, that's. <laughs> I apologize. No, no, not a problem. So, but John, you said that you were not familiar with with the number of abortions survivors that, that are out there. I presume, Andy, we're in the same situation. In my experience, I think that's most people. We Abortion is like this thing that nobody wants to talk about or think about. So, so exactly. is it loosely based on any, like, Gianna Jessen's story or any one particular person, or you just kind of came up with a story that made sense in terms of telling a story? It is. Um, you're exactly right. It is based off of Gianna Jessen's story. I would say it inspired is. by her true story. I heard her speak at a banquet. Okay. And was just that was my, the beginning of my journey. I had no idea that the words abortion and the word survivor could go together. Yeah. And uh, and I began to study her story and others like Sarah Smith and and, and several others. Mm-hmm. And just this phenomenon uh, that we have to face in our culture. It's it's a new phenomenon. You know, this is kind of the first generation in the way of abortion survivors. And um and what do we do with that reality? And so the story is fictional, the love story. Um, yeah. And you know, we wanted to make an entertaining movie. But everything as relates to the issue is absolutely true, absolutely happens, and we definitely need to take a look at Did you find in your research that, that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of abortion survivors in North America? You know, the amazing thing we found is that no one knows how many there are. Nobody's undertaken a study, yeah. but everywhere we take the film, people say, this is my story. Right. And uh, and the film has become kind of a magnet for abortion survivors in a way. Absolutely. And we've tried to document uh, document some of their stories at uh, the website everylifeisbeautiful.com. Nice. Which is kind of an offshoot of the film because we're putting 10% of the profits of the movie into a fund called Every Life is Beautiful for the purposes of uh, pregnancy resource centers and things of that nature. But uh, everywhere we go, um, we just find these stories coming up and, and girls saying, I'm, I'm an abortion survivor. Right. And this is my story. And in many ways, the stories are even more incredible than the film. Than so this happened a lot, and I hope that the film will lead to further knowledge of how many times this has actually happened. You know how, I mean, how it's not so, so much here in Canada, but in the United States, the abortion issue is so polarizing and it's so politicized. Are you finding it... Uh, it seems that everywhere I see about this movie, it seems that it's getting really positive comments. But uh, are you finding that there's also a backlash and people labeling you as, you know, extreme right or anti-abortion or anti-women? Or are you finding that, that it's really allowing people, the way you've approached the story is really allowing people to open their hearts to the, to the issue? Well, you know, I think, I think the freedom of, of our job is uh, we're, not, we're not politicians, we're not preachers, we're, we're, we're storytellers. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, it's a little bit more disarming that we're able to take a look at a topic. Uh, you know, I, I heard a filmmaker say once that... Uh, uh, that the, the the good films, the really great films, are the ones that don't uh, try to force feed answers Absolutely. as much as they try to ask the right penetrating questions. Absolutely, and that's really the point of our film is is just to engage people and and to uh, to kind of shine light on a subject that a lot of people don't talk about. And um, <clears throat> but you know we didn't do that in an angry way. We did that in a positive way. Mm-hmm. We tried to lift up the value of life and look at uh, this story. You know, instead of through a political lens, look at it through the eyes of a victim, a human story. Yeah. And in that terms, it becomes a lot more disarming. Uh, that said, I think the biggest 
backlash that we saw was was not from the the general public that has uh, been able to view the, the film so far. That even people that strongly disagree with our stance on the issue um, really have not felt they they feel like it's a story. Uh, the, the the ones that we experienced the biggest backlash from was uh, was the Hollywood system, um, mm. the, the studios, uh, and it wasn't out of you know a major political agenda as much as it was fear. Um, when they saw the first cut of the film, they said. Uh, we like the story, uh, we like the quality, we won't touch this subject. Yeah. And so, uh, that was the biggest uh, challenge but to overcome. But you have two studios that are backing you. I mean, Providence, correct me if I'm wrong, but how did you kind of navigate that? I mean, in terms of that's finding a great, distribution? That's and, a terrific question because we, we really suffered a lot of rejection, um, uh, you know, with the, with the film because of its message. Yeah. And so we actually self-funded a limited release in about 14 theaters across three states okay. last October. Yeah. And the results were so astounding. I mean, they, they blew us away. They probably it, it more than doubled our expectations mm -hmm. that it really did caught, uh, catch notice. And so several pro-life individuals stood up and said, we want this in theaters, Yeah, and we're going to fund it to get in theaters. And yeah. I'm, I'm forever in their debt. And so the, the October Baby coming out in theaters nationwide is not because of a movie studio. It's because of passionate individuals that yeah. believe in the issue of the film. Yeah. And then... After we had done that, then uh, both Samuel Goldwyn and Provident uh, came on board and said, "We're going to take this on, and um, and we're going to and we're going to market this film and get it out." So it was a great, uh, it was a really neat experience that um, you know Hollywood said no, but people that believed in the issue said yes, and yeah. we went right around the normal system for doing things. So that's that's really great. Uh, amazing. Now I, I just I just curious about the dynamic of the the Irwin brothers. Um, it seems, I would think, you guys have been working together for a long time. You work very well together. How do you figure out, you know, let's co-write or you write and I help or you direct and we direct together? I don't even know how two people can direct together. How does that work for you? Uh, we're still figuring it out. <laughs> we're brothers, which means we, uh, we argue uh, yeah. a lot. And uh, somewhere in the, you know, brother friction, there's, uh, that's where kind of our, our, our better ideas come from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we worked together for 18 years. And, wow. uh uh, I don't write. John writes. Uh, we co-direct, um, and we, we've got a lot of hats that we wear on a film set. We just kind of encompass that with the word filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and we, we, you know, it's 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 kind of fun to be able to. I guess uh, there's a lot of brother teams out there that kind of do that, and each yeah. one has their kind of their own dance to make it work. But uh, uh, we have a lot of fun. And in terms of gathering, I guess the cast and crew. Did you surround yourself with people that were supportive of the cause, or you just went with you know standard procedure in terms of casting? Or how did you figure that out? Or were there any neat con kind of conversion stories in the process of making the film? That's a great question. And you no, know, a lot of different people that make faith-based films have different opinions on this on this question. Yeah. And, um, but but for me. Um, you know, we, we just want to cast uh, great actors, and we don't necessarily require them to share our beliefs, but, but understand that the, our beliefs are sacred to us. Yeah. What was amazing on this film was that everybody that got involved, for whatever reason, maybe it was just because of the nature of the script that you have to kind of believe it yeah. you know, to, uh, to attach your name to it, but everybody that came on board had a deep, deep belief in, in the, the purpose of the film, which is the purpose of the film is, is, is it's a celebration of life. Yeah. And it was amazing to see people like Rachel Hendricks. is her first movie ever, and she does an incredible job. She's the lead. She plays, uh, the lead. She plays Hannah? Yeah, she's the lead. Yeah, she plays Hannah. And, uh, you know, her faith had such a crucial role in her performance. 
mm-hmm. and we saw that all over the set. I've never been on a movie where I where I sensed such unity and such passion for a cause and for a piece of art, you know, and for a story. Yeah. And we had a great time. We almost didn't want to stop. I mean, we, <laughs> we finished a day ahead of schedule and under budget, and wow. we literally wanted to mess up the last day so we could keep going because we really came, uh, became quite a fan. That's great. So is this going to be the new thing for you guys, more feature films, or you'll see kind of where the spirit leads you? Well, you know, that's a great question. It's up to, we say it's up to the audience now. Um, huh. You know, there's a lot going on. I feel like God's really on the move in, in film, and mm-hmm. uh, a lot can happen. But what we have to have is uh, support from our audience. The only way we can keep making films is if we can make the films financially viable. Yep. And so we've done what we can do. We say, look, for the past two years, October Baby has been our baby. It's been our movie. We're giving it to the audience now. And on the 23rd, um, just here in a few days, you know, basically it's going to be up to the audience. Yeah, and, and yeah. Mo- the way movie theaters work are, you know, if people go see the yeah. opening weekend, it'll continue to play and Absolutely. continue to impact the culture. Absolutely. If not, it's only gone before you know it. So yeah. we need to be, we need people to go out and see the movie on that March 23rd. Absolutely. So that's that's why we're doing this here today. So uh, for our listeners in the United States, go out and see the movie. Find out it's playing in a theater somewhere near you. You can get more information at octoberbabymovie.net. I'm sure there's you can find theater listings, put in your zip code. Um, and hopefully it'll it'll also be available here in Canada and, and uh, in other countries. So... Thank you, John and Andy. It's been great chatting with you guys. You're doing great work, so I hope that you continue doing more feature films. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. We, we appreciate the time. No, you're welcome. John and Andrew Irwin are the Irwin brothers, the writing, directing, and producing team that brings us the film October Baby, hitting theaters in the United States on March 23rd. And as I said, as of today, the movie does not have a release date in Canada, but you can learn all about it. Again, octoberbabymovie.net. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Marcel Dion, with Jesus, We Trust in You. Jesus, our God. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Lord, we place our trust in You. Our God, 
Jesus our Savior, Jesus our Lord, we place our trust in That was Marcel Dion with Jesus, We Trust in You, a song that he co-wrote with Matt and Tim Devine. The mission of Marcel Dion's Magnificat is to encourage, equip, and enable the laity to live the fullness of the Christian life by striving for the perfection of charity. Marcel and his wife Linda live a lay contemplative life, and they believe that they're also called to share the fruit of their life with others, and they do this through schools of formation, seminars, parish missions, retreats, and by leading corporate Eucharistic worship. I met Marcel many years ago, and I am delighted that finally we can welcome him as a Salt and Light Radio featured guest. Marcel, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you so much, Pedro. No, we could spend probably two hours talking about all kinds of stuff, but let's really focus on Novo Millenio. This this apostolic letter that you read one day and it changed your life. Why, Why is it so significant? Well, significant on a number of, of levels. One of them was it, it, it basically is the fruit of, if you will, um, the celebration, the universal celebration of the Great Jubilee of the year 2000. Uh-huh. And so um, we're looking at a letter that the Blessed John Paul II wrote at the close of this, what he calls an intense year of grace. Mm-hmm. You know, he says it's impossible to measure the amount of grace, that's, this river of grace that's been poured into the Church over the course of this year. Right. But as this is drawing to a close, let's ask ourselves, what is the Holy Spirit? What's the Spirit saying to the Church? And then he says, you know, I, I just feel a need to write to you and to share with you uh, what, I, what he believes as the Vicar of Christ, right, mm-hmm. in his Petrine office, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's sharing with us what he believes the Spirit is saying to the Church. 
Then he goes on to, to say, basically, look, if now that we've celebrated the Jubilee, we need to look to the future. And where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. And how are we going to implement, in very practical ways, the grace of the Jubilee, of mm-hmm. this great Jubilee? Mm-hmm. And then he says, so... Um, before I talk, before we get into the actual planning of this, he says it's really important that what we propose be rooted in prayer and contemplation. Right. And then he says, and I want to, I want to present you with seven pastoral priorities that I believe have been brought to light through the grace of the jubilee. And then he maps out those those seven pastoral okay. priorities. Yeah. And basically, he's saying. These priorities should be a guide for us, an anchor, if you will, to, for us in terms of what we do in terms of our pastoral initiatives right. to keep moving, um, moving the church towards uh, ongoing renewal. He says okay. what awaits us is this exciting work of pastoral revitalization. Okay, I want you to, uh, to, to tell us what the seven are, but before that, so, so he's basically, like you said, kind of mapping out for us these, these are the guidelines or this is what i suggest or this is what the holy spirit is is guiding us right so it's like a map basically yes he's spelling yeah, and, it out. and the whole thing of priorities you know he you know when you think of christ's own words in matthew six thirty three, he puts it really succinctly right uh-huh. seek first the kingdom right and everything else will be added right so in other words if we put first things first you know, the second and third and the fourth things all fall into place. Okay, so so what are they then? <laughs> okay, <laughs> the seven and just priorities. one other thing, yeah, yeah. Pedro, if you don't mind. No. So the, the Holy Father mentions that it's really important that we have these priorities because we live in a culture that's characterized by activity. Uh-huh. And he says it's really important that we learn to be before we learn to do. And he says in that context, we should keep in mind, be, be sobered, if you will, by Jesus' own reproof of Martha, you know, who said, uh-huh. Martha, Martha, you know, you're anxious you about too, many yeah. things. There is one thing that is needful, right. you know? And so he says, basically he's saying, look, we're going to be doing something for sure. We need to make plans and do stuff. Yeah. But we need, whatever we're going to do needs to reflect and be prioritized according to these uh, these priorities. Yeah, okay. So the first of which is the universal call to holiness. Uh-huh. So he's saying, uh, I'm paraphrasing, there's there's so much... Uh, yeah, I fact, know, and you probably you don't know, have time the, to explain these it. These seminars but just... are basically taking the heart and soul of Nova Millennium, this, this apostolic letter, and trying to... Um, you know, articulated in layman's terms, if you So will, tell you, you know? what, why don't you just list the seven, don't explain sure. them, because I want also people to be intrigued enough to take your seminar. <laughs> okay, great. So, right, so the, here they are, the seven priorities in order of importance. Yeah. The first is the universal call to holiness. Uh-huh. The second is prayer, a yeah. life of deep prayer. The third is the Eucharist. The fourth is called... Uh, it refers to reconciliation or the sacrament yeah. of reconciliation. The fifth is the primacy of grace. Okay. Number six is listening to the word, referring to getting deeply immersed in Scripture. Huh. And the seventh is proclaiming the word. 
Interesting. So, and you said that, so in that order of priority, so you can't kind of get to proclaiming the word unless you've spent time on the others first. Yeah, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about it. Here we're talking about arguably one, if not the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's evangelized and catechized millions worldwide throughout the time of his pontificate. Yeah. And his writings will continue to influence the Church for years to come, right? right? So here's this Pope that has ushered in the new evangelization. This, you know, that's been his clarion call, right, throughout his, his, his pontificate. Yeah. And here he is, here he lists proclaiming the Word, which is what we jump to right away. Yeah. Right, when we talk new evangelization, what does that mean? Oh, I gotta, I gotta be Proclam- evangelizing yeah. and proclaiming the Word. And he's saying, yeah, we need to do that. But our, essentially what he's saying is our, new, our evangelization efforts will not be as fruitful as they can be if we don't respect the right order right. Uh, of these priorities, which mm-hmm. essentially are spiritual realities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything has to be rooted in the right, uh, right. The right priorities, And one I guess. Yeah. Uh, flows from the other, like builds on the other, and, and they're, yeah. all, they're all interconnected, they're all interrelated, but it's really important that we have them in, we've, you know, you need to build a foundation of a home before you erect the wall. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to get the wiring in before you gyp rock, you know? Like, you can't ignore uh, a certain sequence of priorities mm. without, uh, you know, serious consequences. Yeah, now, you've, you and your wife have been living this. You're not just preaching about it. You're living it, so it works. We're, yeah, we're certainly endeavoring to, <laughs> uh, by the grace of God, yes, we, we've made some really, um, we've tried to order our lives based on these priorities, and, and the apostolate, if you will, that flows from it uh, also, you know, and it's, that's essentially what he says in, in the letter itself, is like, you know, all of our pastoral works and, and all of our um, there's even quote I'm paraphrasing here, but something even uh, in the call to holiness, for example, that all of our pastoral efforts and even our efforts in our family life need to be rooted in this and ordered in this way. You're not saying that this is only for people who want to. I mean, to live a contemplative life—that's for everyone. You can have a job and a family and and be busy with the busyness of life and still manage to make all this work in your life. It has to be. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's not reasonable to suppose that God would call us to something that it's impossible for us to respond to right. or to live out. And yeah. ironically, since our return from New Brunswick, the Lord has plunked us right in the, middle in of the, the heart of the yeah. city. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we've been endeavoring to obviously keep living this life. Yeah. And to keep, okay. uh, so there's a contemplative dimension, and I look different, you know, if you're raising a big family, a small family, if you're right. single, of if course. you're retired. Of course. But, and that's part of, you know, the grace of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God to show us, okay, well, how, how do I respond to How do okay. I respond to this at this point in my life and in my circumstances? Right, and I guess part of the seminar is, is to, to show people or to teach them how they can make this work in their own lives. Um, Very much so. So there is no seminar coming up anytime soon, but if people want to find out more, they can email you? Yes, that would be terrific. So marcel at magnificatministries.ca. Right. We're going to 
post that on our on our website as well. But you can also uh, find more information about Magnificat Ministries. You have a YouTube channel, and there's a little video there that explains what the seminars are about and all that. Right. So that's YouTube.com/user/MagnificatMinistries, and again, we'll post that on our site. Marcel, it's been great talking to you. Likewise, um, we need to see each other, my friend. God willing. Yeah. So we'll do that next before time too I'm long. in Ottawa. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so take it easy and hello to Linda. Thank you so much, Pedro. Okay, God bless. Bless you. Bye. That was Marcel Dion of Magnificat Ministries. Uh, again, you can email him at marcel at magnificatministries.ca if you're interested in learning more about his Into the Deep seminars. And if you're interested in Novo Millennio Inewente, that wonderful apostolic letter, you just go to vatican.va and do a search and you should be able to, to find it there. Here now is Marcel Dion with All Glory. us in Christ to be your adopted ones, your daughters and sons. Such is the richness of your grace, which you have lavished on us, that we might live to the praise of your glory.
You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Now, did Jesus have a sense of humor? Does our faith call us to be serious? Do saints encourage us to laugh more? These are some of the questions that Father James Martin addresses in his new book, Between Heaven and Mirth. And to tell us all about it, Father Jim joins us now on the phone from his office at American Magazine in New York. Father Jim, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you. My pleasure to be with you. So why are you so concerned with joy, humor, and laughter from a spiritual point of view? Why write a whole book about it? Well, I think to remind people that faith leads to joy. Too often we tend to think that being religious means being deadly serious all the time. But as I say in the book, you know, if you're deadly serious, you're probably seriously dead. <laughs> I also think we have a, a misunderstanding of Jesus and the saints as being gloomy and dour and depressed all the time, when in fact, uh, you know, a lot of Jesus' life was about joy. And, you know, the saints were very joyful people, if you read their uh, real-life stories. So just right. to remind people that uh, joy is an important part of the spiritual life. Right. Okay, so is there a historical reason why people uh, who are, quote-unquote, religious are serious? You know, you're not supposed to laugh in church or, you know, a homily. You preach a homily and you're so serious that we have to be, you know, all sour-faced. Well, I would think that there are a couple uh, cultural reasons and social reasons, but, uh, you know, in my book I point to a, something of a misunderstanding of, of who Jesus was. Uh, the Gospel writers, when they were trying to explain the story of Jesus for the, uh, you know, early Christians, spent a lot of time on the Passion narrative, you know, right. the story of Jesus' um, suffering and crucifixion, yeah. and ultimate resurrection, of course. Uh, because for the people of the time, it was very difficult for them to understand why the Son of God would have to die in such a shameful way. Mm -hmm. As a result, uh, I think parts of those stories um, overwhelmed the other part of the Gospel story, which was Jesus being joyful, you know, Jesus doing uh, lighthearted things and being with the disciples and healing people and spending time at people's homes. And so I think we've gotten kind of a a wrong-headed notion that being a real Christian means being like Jesus, who was, of course, very serious. But I, I want to sort of balance that out a little bit. Right, so you would go as far as saying that Jesus had a sense of humor. Well, absolutely. Uh, and how do we know that? Well, first of all, he was fully human. I mean, that's a fundamental mm. Christian belief. And anyone who is fully human has a sense of humor. That's, that's part of being an emotionally healthy person. And second of all, there are... Um, uh, clues in the Gospels, uh, you know, the parables he told, which sometimes used ridiculous and over-the-top images. Uh, and even, um, you know, Scripture scholars point to uh, his giving people of uh, nicknames, for example. Uh, right. Or, for example, the story of Nathaniel, who makes fun of Nazareth, and Jesus thinks that that's just great. So there are a right. lot of clues of Jesus' sense of humor if we look carefully enough. Right, and again, it might just be in the interpretation. You watch a movie and the parables are all very serious, but maybe we should interpret them differently. Um, as in sacred art, I don't think I've ever seen a stained glass window of a saint who's not serious. Well, that's right, and that's really sad, because, um, you know, you read the lives of the saints. I point out stories in my book of uh, saints who had great senses of humor, n that were not just happy, but had great senses of humor. Uh, and, and portraiture and mosaics and statues always show the saints serious. And so, yeah. you know, if we understand Jesus as a totally 100% serious guy all the time, and if we understand the saints as the, the uh, models par excellence of Christian discipleship, and they were always serious... Well, then, to answer your original question, you know, we think that, well, therefore, you know, real Christians have to be super serious mm -hmm. all the time, and that's, that's just 
uh, not helpful. No, it isn't. Now, I I get the idea that God wants us to be full of joy. I mean, that the uh, heaven and joy kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that sometimes people might get stuck with the whole humor or comedy or even you, as what you call excessive levity. I, isn't that taking it a little too far or is that not too trivial? Or are you actually talking about Well, I think uh, it's a question of balance. So the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time to laugh and a time to mourn. So Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, I'm not saying you have to be uh, jumping up and down happy 24-7, you know, 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are times that when sadness is is an emotionally healthy response to tragedy or sickness or or, misfortune, obviously, and and Jesus was sad, you know, to the death of his friend Lazarus, and, and the saints had sad parts of their lives. But that's not the whole story. And I think we tend to say that, uh, you know, that's the most important part of the story, or that's the only part of the story, when really the fundamental message, I think, of Christianity is that Christ has risen, and that is good news. Mm-hmm. And I, if you think of us living in an Easter time, which we are, because Christ has risen, right. uh, you know, you can imagine the disciples very happy, I would hope, <laughs> at yeah, the very least, exactly. on Easter Sunday morning. So I think we have to really... Um, uh, try to grab onto that Easter joy. Right. Now, in the book, one of the chapters, you, you, you give us 11 and a half serious reasons for good humor. Um, what, are, what are some of them? Do you want to share some with us? Yeah, well, just very briefly, uh, the first one is that humor evangelizes. Joy, humor, and laughter show your faith in God. Uh-huh. Um, and essentially, positive outlook shows people that you believe in the resurrection. Um, and it also attracts people to, to Christianity. Another reason is that humor can be used to um, remind ourselves of our limitations. In other words, laughing at yourself can be good, can be healthy, if it's not done in a kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of unhealthy way. But, um, you know, it reminds us that we're not the center of the universe. Uh Um, And then finally, I talk about um, uh, humor as something that's healing, uh, you know, for the physical body. When you laugh, you you heal the body. But but there are a lot of spiritual reasons for for joy, humor, and laughter as, as tools for evangelization as tools for humility, as ways of speaking truth to power, uh, and as simply of getting perspective on life. I think a lot of the saints had good senses of humor um, because they had perspective. Uh, St. Philip Neri used to go around Rome in the 16th century with half of his beard shaved off, you know, walking around Rome kind of as a way of uh, getting people to poke fun at him because they would put him on a pedestal. So right. I think there's so many ways of looking at humor I try to talk about in the book uh, as a spiritual tool that, that are often overlooked. So uh, humor then is, if we're to be real three-dimensional human beings, humor has to be part of our life because humor is part of humanity, basically. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's a gift from God. I think, now, there's good humor and there's bad humor. Good humor yeah. is humor that builds up. If you and I shared a joke that would make us both laugh about ourselves or yeah. sort of lighten the load a little bit, um, that's terrific. Um, but there's also bad humor. There's making fun of people and right. putting people down and... Uh, and there's good laughter and bad laughter. So I think we have to be discerning, but I guess the point uh, of the book is is that for too long we have excluded uh, humor and laughter uh, from religious circles and from sort of serious consideration of the parts that they play. And I think that we tend to forget that, uh, that Christianity is fundamentally a joyful religion. I mean, you know, I always say that it is a celebration of the Mass, after all. Right. Um, but uh, sometimes it's hard to tell. <laughs> it is. And I'm just as guilty of that as any other priest. No, it's true. It's true. And unless there's a joke in the homily, that's a, the only time when we're allowed to laugh. 
Well, and you know, I, I often suggest to people and priests, you know, who ask me, there are plenty of times where you can smile. I mean, at the yes. beginning, where you say, the Lord be with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're proclaiming the gospel, it's a joyful thing. I mean, obviously, there are parts in the Mass you don't want to laugh at the consecration or no. when you're talking about Jesus' uh, suffering. Uh, but there, there are plenty of places where you can smile, uh, because it is, in fact, a celebration, and it is a celebration of Christ among us, which is good news, and the good news should put a smile on your face. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's uh, it's a great, great read if anybody is interested between heaven and mirth. It's great advice, lots, certainly lots of material for, for us to think about. Uh, so thank you very much, Father Jim, for, uh, oh, for writing the book and for, sharing, for having me on. sharing the ideas with us. Um, Father Jim Martin, he's a Jesuit priest. He's culture editor of America Magazine. He is also the best-selling author of The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything and My Life with the Saints. This book, Between Heaven and Mirth, is published by HarperCollins. You can find it at any local bookstore and also online through Amazon.com. Once again, Father Jim Martin, thank you very much. Thank you. Here now is our featured band of the week, Effects of Grace, with their song, Wake Up. was Effects of Grace with Wake Up from their new album, Life in Color. In August 2010, I was in Calgary for the Unity Awards, and I had a chance to meet a group of young men. They had a Catholic band. It was a local group from Calgary, and they called themselves Majesty. But they were looking for a new name. The group was very much in their early stages. When I met them, they've been together, I think, just over a year. But now, it's been almost three years, and they found a new name, Effects of Grace, 
and they also have a new album, Life in Color. So it's very exciting to be featuring them this week on Salt and Light Radio, and I'm now joined on the phone by lead singer of Effects of Grace, Andrew Peloso. Andrew, welcome back to Salt and Light Radio. Hey, thanks a lot, Pedro. So I, I hope I got all that right, and I didn't embarrass you with majesty. No, that was perfect. Um, so when I first met you, um, you guys, f- correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, y- you guys weren't just like a little band, because y- it seemed that you guys were also really into doing ministry and leading worship events. Uh, is that still kind of the focus of what you're doing? Yeah, for sure. That's totally what we're about. We're about um, using music and um, our original creations to kind of teach people of um, different different areas and different ages, um, wherever we feel, wherever God calls us to go, and just kind of spreading spreading the good news through music and praise. That's uh, that's what we're all about. So why? Why do you do You're what, 18 years old? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm 17. I'm turning 18 in July. So why, do, why, why is an 18-year-old guy want to preach the good word? Uh, well, it, I think it just, it, uh, it just reflects from my personal relationship with uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I, I don't know, yeah, I think when, when you have the passion to um, share God's good news um, that's impacted your life so heavily, mm-hmm. it's just an amazing thing to be able to reach out and to hopefully um, send a positive message um, to, to other people as well. So. so how did the group start? Because you guys were all friends. I know that, so it's you and your brother Nicholas. And then you have two other brothers, Dylan and Daxon Jones. Yep. Right? And then Ashton Sequeira. Sequeira, right? yeah, Sequeira. sure. Um, so you guys were all friends before? How did this band start? Yeah, we were all friends, and we went to um, the same local parish, St. James Church. And um, what happened is um, Daxon and Dylan's uh, Jones's mom, Karen uh-huh. Jones, approached me and Nicholas and uh, was just kind of um, passing up the idea if we would like to start you know, kind of a youth ministry band within our own church, and it would be a great um, help out for the youth group. And uh, so we all decided to give it a shot, and we went to practice. And initially, we we were all kind of searching, and we're maybe not as into it as, as we are now. Uh-huh. And uh, one thing led to the next, and we kept uh, practicing and um, and developing as musicians. But I think where it really took off was when we had, you know, played some cover songs um, so that we could play them at uh, a youth concert. Mm-hmm. And after that, we all decided, hey, you know, it would be really fun if we could write our own original music. And right. I think that's where all the creativity and the life really um, uh, came for, for the band. So it was a great experience. And, yeah, here we are now. So, and I, 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 I mean, I, again, it's been three years. You guys seem to be doing very well. So how does, how does the collaboration work? Do you have, like... I know that you write some of the songs, but is it mostly you, or do you have a good collaboration? How do you, how do you come up with 10 songs for an album? Um, well, what we did is we're, we're all very musical, and we all like to write music, um, either whether it's instruments. I'm a little bit more of a, a lyricist. Um, mm-hmm. I also um, um, do some instrumental writing as well. But I think we, we all come together at band practice, and we have some new ideas. And then we just jam, we just have fun, and right. uh, play, play music until we think we have something that could be a potential good song, and then we, we run with it. So, yeah, our, our, our um, writing style has 
went farther away from individual writing and more towards a collaborative writing environment because I think it just leads to great ideas if everybody can um, can share their knowledge. So Now, do you play at church? Do you play at a mass, or is that not part of what you do? Um, it's not uh, part of what we do as our band. Uh, I know individually some of us... Uh, play at the St. James Mass on right. Sunday. Okay. Uh, I know myself, Nicholas, um, Daxon, and Dylan last year um, played in our school Mass band, so when our right. school uh, goes to Mass, we'll play music there. But together as Effects of Grace, we are more a concert and youth rally um, and conference-based group. Okay, I have to ask you, because uh, you probably don't remember, but when I met you in Calgary, you said that you wrote your first song when you were in grade two. And yes, that, I did. And that it was a Christian song, and that you were still trying to see if you could figure out how to make it work, <laughs> you know, add a dance beat to it or something. So I just have to ask you, it's not one of the ones in the album, is it? Uh, it is not one <laughs> of the ones on the album, although we did have uh, this discussion, and we tried to, tried to make it work out, but you know, it, just, uh, it didn't get picked as the top ten. It was, uh, <laughs> but definitely it has a lot, of, um, a lot of value to myself personally, just because it, it, it's neat when you... Uh, are able to go and look back at you know what you created so long ago, this and uh, I think there is definitely some room. We might be bringing it back into the live concert set list. You never know. That's so. funny. So <laughs> you're you're still in high school? Yes, I'm still in high school. I'm in my last semester of grade twelve. But uh, some of you, there's a couple of you that are in university. I know. I think um, Dylan Jones. He is in his first year of neuroscience at oh, the University geez. of Calgary. Neuroscience. That's yes, good. neuroscience. Wow. The guy is very brilliant. Way <laughs> to break up the band. Um, <laughs> so, so you guys are all, all all young. What what's next? I mean, obviously you have more songs. Are you thinking about another album? Do you want to? Uh, what do you see f in the future of Effects of Grace? Um, uh, again, I th I think it's gonna all come down to um, the biggest question of where is God calling us on our uh, personal journeys. Um, I know we're we're very young and we're just. Uh, um, developing and starting to uh, see the world through a different lens. Um, but yeah. I know as, as a band, our hope is that if God calls us and enables us to be together, is to continue to uh, touch people and write music. And uh, yeah, definitely a hope of ours is to be able to record a second album because we um, just in, you know, that album that uh, uh, is on the radio now yeah. um, is is from you know a year a year and a half ago um, the music that we wrote and uh, the music that we write now um, is is always changing and um, it's just maturing as we um, look at new facets for to to use our music for and um, yeah it's it's really exciting to see where God will lead us but hopefully um, in some years um, when some years pass it would be nice to still be together and still creating music for yeah, sure. Yeah, it would be. It's uh, uh, it, it's kind of hard when you're growing up and people might end up having different opportunities for university. You're not all going to stay in Calgary. Mm -hmm. But uh, you're right. You need to kind of trust the Lord. Tell me about the work that you've been doing with All Access Ministries. With All Access Ministries, a good friend of mine, Michael, he just really took us under his wing and has been help, helping us and allowing us to play at venues that we never thought uh, were possible to play at, especially um, just with our age. But he just uh, he, he saw something in us, and he decided to invest his time and his effort to, to help us out, and he's been such a blessing. Um, it originally, our relationship originally um, started off is 
my uh, my dad was actually meeting with him. I I don't know what it, what it was for, but right. they decided to pick me up from school at lunchtime and just grab a Tim Hortons coffee. And uh, that Tim Hortons coffee turned into uh, just talking, and I shared my story and uh, uh, what I feel is my call to to do ministry through music. And mm. um, Michael was very drawn in by that, and he just I think he really just wanted to help us and see us develop and. Uh, since then, that was about a, a year or so ago, um, we've been doing a lot of uh, collaborative events with All Access Ministries from youth rallies, and uh, okay. we also got a chance to um, play at One Rock, the One Rock Festival okay. in, in Calgary for the Diocese of Calgary, and that was uh, all through the help of Michael, and what a blessing he's been. Yeah, excellent. So he's he's All Access Ministry, they do events and, and mm-hmm. youth conferences and that kind of stuff. Yeah, his whole goal is to... Uh, help people, people discover their place in Christ, and he's just uh, an amazing speaker and a real great guy. Yeah, good. Now, we've been listening to, we've already heard two of your songs, Amazing and Wake Up, and we're going to close off with Time Machine, but I wanted to ask you, you the title of the album, Life in Color, why, why did you go with that title? What's the significance? That title, we were all sitting together, um, I guess, mid-July around a campfire, and we were just relaxing and trying to discuss uh, some names that we should call the album and we all kind of decided that life in color would be a great name for the album because we're trying to show that through jesus christ um you know our lives really do come to life um Mm. they're 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 brighter and we're able to see um you know the silver lining in a lot of life's experiences and we're able to um place our trust and our faith in jesus christ and i think that really was an expression of of how we felt and also, Life in Color, our music, um, uh, especially for this album, was very geared towards being uplifting. And uh, we just thought that, uh, you know, God, uh, if we were to look at it um, uh, symbolically, God is really the color that, um, and he paints the canvas on yeah. our lives. So that, no. that's where it came from. It's a great image. I, I love the idea of, of, of if you don't have God in your life, you're living in black and white. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, neat, a neat concept. Anyway, Andrew, it's been great to talk to you. Um, you guys are doing great work. Keep keep it up. I'm looking forward to the next album and uh, looking you. forward to playing your music more. Awesome. So that was Andrew Peloso. He's the lead singer and one-fifth of Effects of Grace. You can find out more about them at their website, FX of Grace. That's the letter FX, then ofgrace.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. But you can also look them up on Facebook. They're on YouTube. They're on MySpace. They're everywhere. So look them up. FX, the two letters, FX of Grace. And here now they are with their song Time Machine from their album Life in Color. Fair share of problems always weigh me down. Questions that I just can't explain, answers that can't be found. I feel love, but I can't hold it. It's way over my head. Sometimes life takes a little faith. There's things I don't understand, so I'll
There's more than first class and limousines And all that means vanity But the more I stop and listen The more you help me realize That it's not about how you finish It's about how you live your life So I'll hold on to you The one that stays true Erase the pain I had mm, But I know I'm more than my failures Yeah, pick me up And please don't let go concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Salt and Light.